Today we are uh, finishing our series on the words of Advent. We've looked at hope and joy and peace, and today we are talking about love. Now, I didn't lay out this entire series before we started. I was just going sort of week to week with the words of, of, of Advent. But one of the themes, themes that's really popped up is a real comparison between the way the world talks about some of these things and the way the, that we should be talking about these things. We've been sort of, what is the world talking about this? And then how does the Bible talk about this? And, and the contrast between the two has been interesting in these sermons. But probably when we talk about love, it's the most sharp distinction that we're going to find. It doesn't help that in English, we only have one word for love. So I love Christmas, and I love pizza, and I love when the Steelers win, and I love my children. Those are different, right? Those are not all exactly the same. In Greek and Hebrew, at least, there are more words for love, but still, there's this sense in which love uh, can mean a lot of different things. And a lot of times we talk about love being a feeling. How many of you have heard that? Love is a feeling. The problem is, if you, if you think about love as a feeling, you don't always feel it, do you? Like, let's just be honest. If you're in a family, not only do you not always feel like you love each other, you don't always like each other, right? The feeling can come and the feeling can go. We live in a culture that's really struggling with the idea of love. Many want a love that has no limits. Love who you want, how you want. We have people that are, that are together but have no even idea that they're going to get married. They just stay living together. We have people that get married but just as flippantly get divorced for practically no reason because we don't feel like we love each other anymore. Yet that's called marriage. Right? Love is not a commitment. We have people who have open marriages. We have people who, who uh, are married but don't stay monogamous. We have, we have so much confusion over what love is, and Christians are no different in a lot of ways. A lot of Christians argue for a love that means anything goes. Some Christians argue for a love that means denying yourself, right? Oh, we got to deny ourselves like Jesus. And so I watch a lot of Christians be in really unhealthy relationship, go to really toxic churches, just put up with so much stuff at work and just say, hey, look, I'm being like Jesus because I'm sacrificing. No, that's called unhealth. I'm not sure that's what Jesus was getting at. Toxic relationships is not glorifying to God. Some Christians tend to think that love means that what you really need to do is fight for what you believe in. You fight for truth. Isn't it funny how sometimes what some people call love ends up looking a lot like hate depending on who it's aimed at. We have a lot of confusion about love and this is the Christmas season, this season of love. And yet how many of us know that this week we're going to have to go see our family? And uh, this word love gets a little bit complicated. Our love is going to be put to the test. We're going to be reminded again that we are not the favorite child. We're going to be trying to give gifts. And how many of you have watched people like go from store to store to store trying to find the perfect gift as if, if, I, could just, if I could just find the perfect gift, maybe things would be perfect Maybe I could heal the relationship if I just did exactly the right thing. How many of you have had this? 
you get married and now you got to figure out whose family you spend Christmas with versus not Christmas with. And you got to like, there's all these dynamics that happen at family with family at Christmas. And it doesn't look a lot like love to me sometimes. So let's think about love from a biblical perspective. To begin, we need to say that biblical love starts with God. As John says in 1 John 4.19, we love because God first loved us. Isaiah in Isaiah 49 says that, that, describes the love of God not just like a father, but also like a mother. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. This is what God says. I remember understanding that love in a different way when I had my son. And I uh, held this child for the first time. I didn't know him. He looked kind of funny looking, right? But I remember just thinking about how much I love this thing I just met. How much I love this child. And I, I, got, this, I got this real sense. This was a, is a major life-changing, not just having kids, but in my faith, to say, oh, is this what a father's love is? And God holds me like that. And God looks at me like that. That's it. I, I just got this glimpse of the love of God in a different way that I've never felt before. I heard, I heard a comedian, Michael Yo, say that he had a son and went through something like this. And he, he looked at his son and said, I would die for you. And then later he had a daughter. And he looked at her and said, I would kill for you. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's something about, about the love of God. The Bible says God loves the world. He loves His people. And this perception is so new. you got to understand, in the ancient world, this is not how you talked about the gods. The gods didn't love you. You tried to satisfy the gods. If you, if you said the right words, if you made the right sacrifices, maybe the gods would be happy with you for a while. But the Canaanite gods didn't talk about their gods loving them. The Roman gods didn't love you. It was always conditional with those gods. But here comes Israel, and they say something different about their God. They say God's love for you is not based on your character or your nature. It's based on God's character and God's nature. That it is God's very nature to love you. That's why He loves you. So that it's not up to you. It's not up to you to keep this God happy. This God loves you. Every day, the people of Israel would recite then a prayer called the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So the expectation wasn't that you could just do whatever you want because God loved you. The expectation was because God loved you, you owe God your love. And so you're supposed to love God with everything you have. In fact, you're supposed to go even further than that. Leviticus tells us, Leviticus 19, that you're supposed to love your neighbor too. So God, being love, loves us, and therefore we love God back, but we also love our neighbor. Love is rooted in God. And then, in the fullness of time, God loved the world so much that He sent His Son into the world. That's what we're celebrating next week. Okay, Christmas is about love because love is what Jesus shows when He comes in to the world. Jesus talked a lot about love. He summarizes the, the law, the entire Old Testament, using those two references. 
What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God. What's the second one? Love your neighbor. Right? Actually, Jesus goes even a step further. He at one point says to love your enemies. Now, whoa, this is like, you can love your family. Like, you're supposed to do that. That's not easy. (laughs) Sometimes your family is your enemies. But you're supposed to love those people. Jesus goes so far as to say, you love your enemy. You pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because you're living out of a love that didn't start with you. It started with God. In the upper room, Jesus gave them a new mandate, a new commandment. This is that word mandate is where we get Maundy Thursday because that night he gives them a commandment to love one another. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He lived this stuff out. He loved. He loved all the way to the cross. And even on the cross, he loved and prayed for his enemies that were persecuting him. Now, Jesus talked a lot about love, but so did Paul. In fact, love shows up in almost every work that we can find of Paul's. It's the first of the fruit of the Spirit. What's the, it's the very first one. When, when we talk about what is the Spirit doing in your life, the first thing that should show up is love. It's greater than hope. It's greater than faith. And Paul keeps with this idea that love is based on God's character. Listen to a couple of verses from Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what's he saying? God loved you even though He didn't need to love you. Even though He shouldn't have loved you. Like We made mistakes. We rejected God and still God loved us. But Christ came and gave us this gift of grace. But grace is based on God's love. Now once again, we need to realize that this love from God is not limitless. It's not free. It's not without expectations or boundaries. Paul, who writes some of the most important stuff we have about love, also has some of the sharpest comments for communities that are out of line. He's both a loving and truthful. He writes a whole letter to the Corinthians who are struggling to understand love. The church at Corinth, they had this, this, this inappropriate relationship was, that was going on, and they were not only allowing it to happen, they were celebrating it. Like, wow, look how loving we are. And yet they get mad at each other every time they have communion. There's like total disunity between each other, but we brag when we're showing love that we shouldn't be celebrating. And so Paul lines them up. And he says, okay, you really want to know what God's love is like. Let me tell you what God's love really looks like. And he gives us 1 Corinthians chapter 13, often called the chapter of love. We read it at marriages, but it's actually got very little to do with marriage, except marriage is one main expression of love. He's talking about love. Let me read some pieces of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongue of men's and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, then I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let me hang there for just a minute. If you gave away everything and gave it to somebody else, we would say, wow, that's love. 
if you sacrificed yourself, you gave your life from somebody else, we would automatically say, yeah, that's love. But here's Paul saying, if I give away all I have, but I haven't loved, I've got nothing. So, so for Paul, love isn't just an act of love. It's something more than that. It has something to do with your heart. Right? You can do a lot of loving things, but not be loving. Do you know these people in your life? They do loving things for you, but they expect so much in return. They love to manipulate. You can, you can show love for a lot of different motives. Paul's saying, that ain't love. That's not love. He said, he said let, me, let me tell you a little more about love. I can tell you, if, if it's not love, here's what you'll see. He says, love is patient and kind, but then he gives a bunch of don'ts. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So Paul, Paul's saying, okay, there's certain things. If you see love and it has some of these characteristics, it's not real love. Okay, if there's envy. If, if you love, but you're actually loving and envious of somebody else. If there's boasting or bragging or arrogance. If you tell me how loving you are, you've missed it. Right? If it's about how loving you are, then that's not true love either. Godly love isn't rude. It doesn't celebrate no wrongdoing. The, the older translations used to say what? It keeps no record of wrong. Right? Real love doesn't have a scorecard. Okay? Where I can go back and say, do you know what you did in 1984? Yeah, we're still mad about that. And I bring that out anytime I need. No, I don't keep score. It's a love that forgives. Once we forgive, we move on. If you're always keeping a score, it's a sign that you're loving for yourself and not for other people. When you love somebody because of what you get out of it, it's abuse, everybody. It's self-centered. You're using somebody to get what you want. That's not love. Doesn't, doesn't want to get its own way. It's patient. It's kind. Godly love is based also in truth. This is the hard part of love. Is sometimes to love somebody is to tell them a truth that they don't want to hear. This is why love isn't a feeling, because sometimes, sometimes, the most loving thing you can do for somebody is not going to be received like love. It's going to be received like you're, you're mad at me, or you're upset with me. No, I love you, and I need because I love you to tell you you're being an idiot, right? Those go together sometimes, and this kind of love is truthful love. Godly love is based on truth. And when there's struggles, love bears them. When doubts, love believes. When all hope seems lost, love still hopes. When you feel like you can't go on, love endures. This is why love isn't a feeling. Love remains when the feeling fades. Paul ends the chapter. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love greater? Well, I don't know. Paul doesn't actually say why he says, thinks love is greater. But I think it's because faith and hope you have. And you can try to share those with other people, but it's hard. But love, 
you can actually share with somebody else. And if you've ever been, if you've ever lost somebody who really loved you and you knew it, it's like part of their love endures with you. Something of that love continues on. What would the world look like if Christians had more of this kind of love? So much of this world's love is demanding and not self-sacrificing. It's toxic and it's not holy. It's abusive instead of life-given. It's conditional instead of committed. What would happen if Christians really had this sense of love? And the fight for love is not new. Paul had to do it in Corinth, and I think it's actually a big part of Christmas story. Let's think through the Christmas story for a minute from the perspective of love. We got a pregnant teenager. How do you handle a pregnant teenager? Like, that's a crisis today in a lot of families. Back then, it was a very serious crisis. Okay? How do you, as a parent, handle a pregnant teenager? What did Mary's brothers think of this? Okay? Did the brothers go threaten to beat up Joseph? Right? Like, well, how did the family look at this? So what does Mary do? She runs. She gets out of town. She goes and visits her relative Elizabeth. Okay? She, I, I, I'm not sure what would have happened to her if she had stayed there to get the brunt of the initial emotion of all of that was going on. And Elizabeth is so loving, so compassionate, so insightful, because she's going through her own miraculous pregnancy. There's great love that Elizabeth shows to Mary that I'm not sure we, we don't ever see that at Mary's home. Even Joseph is having some questions at this point. And what about Joseph? Joseph's put in this terrible position where if, if he says, if he, if he goes ahead and marries her, he's basically saying that child is my child. And in a conservative village like Nazareth, that would not have been well. Like, there were people that would never do business with Joseph again if he had impregnated Mary before they were married. They, they wouldn't do business with him anymore. His reputation would be gone. Okay, there'd be all these sort of questions. But if he doesn't marry her, he, he's basically accusing her of having an affair, which she can be stoned for. So he decides to divorce her quietly. Actually, that takes a lot on himself because everybody's going to assume if he did that, that he didn't want to publicly admit that it was his, but it was probably his. And still, people in the community would not. I mean, it's actually a very loving thing that Joseph would divorce her quietly. Then for her to actually, him to actually marry her, this amazing, self-sacrificing love. And then Joseph takes Mary with him when he has to go to the census in Bethlehem. Well, why does he take Mary? Why not leave Mary behind? I'm not sure how much support Mary was going to get back home. He may have had to take her with him to Bethlehem to protect her from some of her brothers, from some of the neighbors who would not have appreciated, right? They finally get to Bethlehem and there's no room for them. The text said, a lot of translations say no room in the inn, but Bethlehem doesn't have an inn. That word is like a guest room. So can you imagine, you're getting ready to have a baby. You're basically staying in the living room where all the animals are of your in-laws. Okay? This is, this is where Mary is. Okay? You're going to stay in your in-laws' living room, have a baby there? Um, I mean, the, the in-laws don't know what to do with Mary either how awkward so here is this christmas story where jesus love incarnate for god so loved the world that this is happening and even as jesus is coming into the world 
the family doesn't quite know what to do with it. The world isn't quite sure, and there's a question all around it of, is this going to be healthy love or not healthy love? So if you're having a little bit of trouble with love this holiday, you're in good company. If you're worried about the stress on your marriage or the craziness of travel plans or what your future could look like, well, you're not alone. You're traveling with Mary and Joseph this year. If you're unsure about your past, what people will think or how to care for someone in need, you're not alone. You're just walking with Elizabeth and Zechariah this Christmas. If you're sleepily going about your work but longing for something big to happen, to suddenly realize God's work in your life, well, maybe this is your Christmas with the shepherds. If you're traveling, trying to find the right gifts, looking for a sense of awe and wonder this Christmas, well, you're just traveling with the wise men. Maybe you're excited about the holiday season. Maybe you need to escape some toxic people the way the Holy Family ran from Herod. My prayer is, wherever love is, for you this Christmas. May you be inspired by the love of Jesus. May you be inspired by the love of Mary and Joseph. May you have a healthy sense of biblical love for family this year, even if that means you may have to tell some truths. Let me also say, you just never know when is going to be the last time you get to tell someone you love them. You never quite know when when you're ever going to get to say something again because you lose them or because they move away. or So, so here's, here's one of my challenges to you. This kind of biblical love, you tell people. Tell people you love them this holiday. And my dare to you is don't just tell them you love them. Tell them why. Tell them why. Tell them what you really appreciate about them. Don't just send a Christmas card that says Merry Christmas. Send a card that says exactly why you care for them. May the gift of love that God has given you be the kind of gift of love that you give to others. Amen.